Hi, this is Emily Gibson, co-executive director and co-founder of ATX Television Festival. And this is Jennifer Morgan, director of programming. And you're listening to The TV Campfire. This week's podcast release from ATX Festival Season 8 is our conversation with our awardee, Felicia Rashad, which... I mean, just taking a minute is pretty phenomenal that it took place at the festival. I She has been an icon for many years. Um, we started having an awardee the second year of the festival. Jenna, I'm looking at that. Third. The third year of the festival. <laughs> Guys, facts. Sometimes you just look them up before you start recording. Um, the third year of the festival with our first awardee was Henry Winkler, who, I mean, not to <laughs> overshine anyone, but he is maybe one of the most phenomenal human beings on earth. Yes, absolutely. He's just so nice and wonderful and all of the things. Followed by our other incredible awardees, uh, James L. Brooks, Norman Lear, who you can't really get more iconic than that. And last year was Marcy Carsey, uh, who is an incredible producer with a library, an unbelievable library of TV. And so it's fun to go from Marcy Carsey, who did produce The Cosby Show, to Felicia Rashad, who... We all know she's most iconic for Claire Huxtable, but really has done so much TV and continues to do so much TV and has played all sorts of characters, many strong female roles. And then this conversation was moderated by Susan Kletchie Watson from This Is Us, who plays her daughter on This Is Us, which is like a cool, a cool circle all coming together. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and they also have a, a very fun personal relationship that they'll they'll dive into a lot more in this conversation. But we usually the thing with the awardee conversations is we like to have whoever is moderating is really a conversation partner instead of a moderator. And it's somebody that they have a personal relationship to. Yes. Which we've done with the others as well. But this one in particular felt like kind of kismet a little bit. It is funny because I feel like I guess they've all been a little different, but the first few conversations we had, we really, honestly, the the person that hosted the conversation is the person that got us to the awardee, mm-hmm. the first few. I think Norman Lear was the first one that kind of flipped a little bit uh, in that conversation, which is an incredible conversation with his goddaughter, Katie Seagal. But this one, we were really on the hunt for, like, who would be cool to have this conversation? Who has a relationship with her? Who's someone that we think has a good rapport? But you're also betting a little bit, not knowing. Like, we have no personal connection to Susan, so I had no idea how that conversation was going to go. They laughed so much. Like, they had such a good time This is such during like a, this conversation. Yeah, it's a very buoyant, like, sort of, soul-filling conversation. It hits all the marks. It makes you laugh. It warms your heartstrings. It definitely, I mean, I tear up in everything, so that's just me. You may cry too, but it definitely hits all the different levels and is just a good look into her phenomenal career. I think it's also cool for how we got to her. So we had, she'd been, we have, obviously we have a list of all the people we'd like to give an award to. Felicia's been on this list for a very long time, but Sometimes people are harder to get to than other people, even though we once we once we find someone, we will do whatever we can to get to them. But so Jen and I had seen David Makes Man, which is airing now on OWN. Mm-hmm. We saw it premiere at South by Southwest in March. Um, we had already kind of been talking to OWN about the show, but really we wanted to go see it and see what it was all about. And yeah, I had actually been sent the pilot by OWN before oh, South I forgot by. that you had already seen it. Yeah. So Kate and I had had watched it. It was a rough cut. It was a rougher cut than what premiered at South by, obviously. But even without like some of the, you know, visuals and stuff, it was just like engrossing. Like it was just it felt 
like, I don't know, like a novel, like for your eyes. I don't know. Like, I don't know a better <laughs> way to put it, but it yeah. It really encompasses you watching it at South yeah. by not really knowing what to expect. I now remember in retrospect that you had seen it and given me a little bit of kind of backstory on even just what it was about, but having no idea what I was about to sit down and watch. And then you really feel like you're just encompassed by what you're seeing on screen. You're feeling it from all sides and it's beautifully shot, incredibly well acted from all different levels of people in the industry, people who've just started, people who've been around for a while, people in the middle of their careers, all giving these incredible performances. And then it's touching on, as a lot of shows these days, it's touching on a lot of issues, but it's doing it in a new creative way that gives you a different entry point. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's a really hard one to sort of like pitch in a sentence. I mean, it's not really about one thing. It's, it's about a lot of things. And it's, it's from a very unique perspective and there's, you know, surrealist elements and there's very, you know, emotional, like grounded moments. And I mean, a lot of, I mean, Terrell Alva McCraney, the creator has obviously comes from Moonlight, which there is certainly some of that, that DNA here. Um, and that it is just like, again, like very, very beautiful to watch and very like empathetic towards all of its characters in the in the same way I think that the Moonlight did. Yes. And so watching that at South by and knowing immediately that we wanted it. And then talking to Own, them going out to Felicia to be part of that QA. And as soon as she locked onto that, we were like, and another request for her. And she said yes. Feels like very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. I remember Kate and I were actually recording our pre-episodes of the TV Campfire when she was like, I'm going to check and see if we have any real-time news. And you had just messaged us that she had said yes Mm -hmm. and was going to be part of the festival. And it really just rounds out our programming in such a beautiful way that the reason, one of the many reasons we give an award is because there are certain shows, for whatever reason, that you can't do reunions of. They're too old. Some people are not still living. People have gone through a series of different things. And so how do you honor the history of TV as much as we love a reunion when that's not possible. And this is a way to honor the history of television and an incredible career in such a great way. So without further ado, here is a conversation with ATX awardee Felicia Rashad. Hello, everybody. (laughs) I am very excited to be here because of who we are celebrating today. Uh, Miss Felicia Rashad. <laughs> now they have me all in your business, Felicia. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I'm gonna just let me get to the deepest one. Where can we go? Let's start from the beginning. Okay. Shall we? Okay. 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 Right. okay. So Houston, Texas. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are kinda sorta in your homeland. Kind of sort. Uh-huh. Kind of sort, yep. What does Houston, Texas mean to you? Houston, Texas. Uh, is family, it's home, it's school, it's friends, it's barbecue, it's uh, strawberry soda, it's, uh, oh my, I mean, that was, that was the beginning of everything, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Houston, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find um, a lot of your beginnings still inform your present? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. My um, my father grew up in Houston, but he was born in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So 
all of those experiences of going to a family farm and spending time on the family farm and growing up in Houston and having friends who lived way out on Alameda on a ranch mm-hmm. and yeah, all of that kind of stuff. It I didn't think about it until, um, let's see, I think it was August Wilson's Gem of the Ocean. Yes. And then A Raisin in the Sun. Mm-hmm. And I could see how all of that informed my understanding of these women's lives. Mm. You know, like Lena Younger, I, I didn't even want to do that play. Why? Just child, because the... <laughs> now, I don't mean this to be offensive to anybody, okay? Mm-hmm. But I had seen the play, and it's just like... You know, she was like a piece of furniture with a wig on it. Mm. I mean, that's the that's that shows you how limited my perception was. Mm-hmm. Okay, but when it came time to do it, and I looked more deeply at simple statements and simple things that she did, like that plant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understood that plant. I said, "Oh no, I get it now." She is from a rural community in Mississippi. And of course she would have a plant because if she were back home, she'd be growing her own food. She grew up growing her own food. Um, I said, oh. And when I understood that, I understood everything about her. Mm. Mm. When I understood that, I understood everything about her. Um... Because as a child, I spent a lot of time in the place where my father was born, mm-hmm. on this farm in Lobdell, Louisiana. And there was a wood-burning stove, and there was an outdoor toilet, mm. and there was a pump by the uh, fence where the cows were kept in the pasture. And uh, as little kids, every time a calf was born, they would name a calf after one of us. Mm-hmm. And we used to stand there and say, there I am, mm-hmm. and there you are. <laughs> No. Did they ever kill any of them? No, they didn't kill them. They just melted them. No. I only asked because my mom had a goat uh-huh. in Jamaica. Uh-huh. That was her pet. She loved that goat. She loved that goat. And she came home and there was curry goat for dinner. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I'm just asking a question. Yeah, yeah okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because um, now I'm going to jump around because this is so good. It, it tells us a lot about the way you work and, and what I've learned about the way you work. And what you've taught me about how to work is the inner reality creating the outer form, right? Yes. And so um, have, do you feel like there have been other characters that you've encountered that you may have prejudged at first, but then found an entryway into them that kind of illuminated something that felt... Uh, like a connection that you didn't realize you would have. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the one. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was really the one. Mm-hmm. Um, or a depth that you felt like you were able to bring that maybe you didn't see on the page or something that you, you didn't That's see generally the case. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I say, that isn't to say that there isn't depth on the page. Mm-hmm. It's to say that my understanding of my job as an actor is to really go beyond whatever it is I see on the page Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to find more Mm -hmm. because the playwright is inspired and writing what the playwright hears the characters say Mm -hmm. 
and then the actor, uh, with the help of the director, has another task, mm. and that's to bring it to fruition, to bring it to life. Gotcha. You know, and it isn't a matter of doing things so much as it is understanding things and finding things that you hold inside yourself, mm. the way people do. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, everybody in this room has stories. Everybody in this room has thoughts and concerns. Everybody in this room has past impressions. Everybody in this room has hopes for the future that we hold. We don't talk about them all the time. So as an actor, that's what I try to really find. Not how to be dramatic or how to say a thing, but what is this human being holding? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say two people and then a place. Okay. And you tell me the influence they have okay. in your art and your work. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so fun. Uh, she likes to do this kind I of thing. I like to do it. Okay. Uh, Vivian Ayers. That's my mother. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a, a few hyphenates after Vivian's name. Okay. Uh, Pulitzer Prize nominated artist. Okay, go ahead. Poet. Yes. Playwright. Mm-hmm. Scholar. Yes. Okay. Go. Girl, now you just said it all. Okay, so that's Vivian Ayers is my mother. And so I, I grew up with this mother who is a poet. And I'm growing up in Houston, Texas. Okay. All righty then. Um, there, that was very unusual uh, for friends. But for me, it was like every day. You know, it was just like every day. So my mother would get up at three o'clock in the morning. She'd write from three to six because in the was, morning. In the, yeah, every so a.m. Yeah, a.m. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From three to six, she would write every morning because that was a quiet time. The phone was not going to ring, and we were asleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those were th- that was the best. And she said those were the most creative hours. So she would she would write like that. Um, she was quite interesting as a mom. Mm-hmm. She taught us so many things. She brought me and all of my friends in to the house one summer afternoon, um, and she taught us to read music. Mm. I was five years old, I think. And she taught us to read music, and there was this candied Easter egg that she had saved, and she brought that thing out, and she started to explain note value, time signature. She said, this is a whole note in four, four measure. There are four beats to a measure. This is a whole note that gets four beats. She divided it in half. Now we have two half notes. Each one will get two beats. She proceeded to divide that thing into 16 pieces. <laughs> it was my first lesson in fractions, mm. and I never forgot it. Mm. My mother educated us in ways that were unconventional, but that opened the imagination, mm. and things made sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mom. Yeah. She would take the furniture in the living room and she would move it to the sides. Move it to the side of the wall. Very unconventional in Houston, Texas. You did not do that. <laughs> and she put on some music, and then she would have us do Catherine Dunham combinations moving across the floor. Wow. 
Wow. Because she had cousins who danced with Catherine Dunn. She would do that. Mm-hmm. And she would always talk to us about Brainerd Institute. Brainerd Institute was one of those schools that was founded in the South after um, Reconstruction. It was to educate the descendants of freed Africans. My great-grandparents, grandparents, and my mother attended this school. And she would talk to us about Brainerd Institute and about the quality of this education over and over and over again. She would always just talk about it throughout the day. And as a child, when I'd visit Chester, South Carolina, where she was from, it was right across the street from the house where she was born. Mm -hmm. And we used to play there. The buildings were empty. The tennis court wasn't used anymore, but it was a smooth skating surface. Mm. Mama, growing up with Mama was very interesting. She, She taught us the value of not being materialistic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she taught us the value of work. And she taught us that, you know, the, the best thing a human being could do, she'd say it just like this, know your own worlds of being and stay within your own element. Mm. You got to think about that. I do. You know, that is something if a lot of young people understood that, behavior would be very different. Mm. Know your own worlds of being and stay within your own element. She also would teach us things like this and make us say it. The universe bears no ill to me. I bear no ill to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean... Five-year-old child. Right. (laughs) You know, and as I got older, she taught me the inner reality creates the outer form. Ah, Okay. Mm -hmm. This is something she said, yeah, the inner reality creates the outer form. And I began to use that in the context of acting, and that's what I began to teach students as well. Mm -hmm. I have another name for you. Oh, yes, Mm -hmm. ma'am. It's Debbie Allen. (laughs) Um, what does that mean when I bring up that name? Trouble. <laughs> trouble, honey, trouble, Classic trouble, trouble. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ooh, child. <laughs> Every time I saw her coming, I knew I was going to get into trouble for something. No, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a lifetime right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lifetime, and it's been... Really interesting, too. My mother says, uh, if your interests were very different, you would still be sisters and you would still love each other, but you wouldn't be as close as you are. Mm. The, what was it like growing up? That it's just such, it feels like an artistic household. Your dad was an orthodontist. Isn't it? No, a dental surgeon. A, a dental surgeon. Mm-hmm. Mm. Father was a dental surgeon. Mom is a poet and scholar, and, and then you, Debbie's a dancer. You develop this love of acting. What is what is that household like? Do you feel like there that was there was always sort of this artistic base, or was it something where it was like pursue what you love? <laughs> My parents were divorced when I was six, mm-hmm. and our household was full of books. Mm-hmm and music, and art. 
And my father wasn't in the house, but my father was always present. Mm. Because my parents had the good common sense and decency to allow us to love them both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Growing up in the house, well, see, it just seemed normal. I mean, art was as much a part of life as throwing mud pies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, you know, when you grow up like that, that's just what you know. It's like, it didn't feel separate from gathering eggs, mm-hmm. you know, and feeding chickens and watching yourself in the cow pasture. Mm-hmm. It was all the same. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel split in any way. It all went together somehow. Um, Do what you love, yeah. And my mother was always very focused on finding those things that she saw we gravitated towards. For instance, my brother. My brother started playing trumpet when he was very young. Wow. And they bought him a trumpet for um, Christmas he picked it up without a single lesson and played taps. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Debbie looked at my mother when she was very young. She said, I need a dancing teacher and you're not doing anything about it. Oh. <laughs> 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 well, look, she had big dreams and fame calls. You got it. Hey, hey. Hey, right where you start hey, paying. Hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was just, and it wasn't, and it wasn't all easy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, no, my mother insists one day you're gonna tell. And I said, Mother, please, nobody's interested. Yes, they are. I said, No, they're not. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't always smooth sailing. It wasn't always smooth going. Mm-hmm. But we had each other always, mm-hmm. you know, and we were together. And 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 my mother was really. I mean, okay, I mean, you know, so she's a poet, right? But come on, let's really look at that. Poets don't make money. Mm-hmm. They don't. People, people write because it's in them to do, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, she had three children, you know, and, and she was a kind of woman who wasn't going to, if, if, if she was, let's say, in a relationship with a man, we knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Because she was a rebel in her own way, but she was very precise and conservative about other things. You just don't do that, you know. Um, and she she had some friends and some allies, like John Biggers and a few other artists in Houston. But those ladies that had been friends when my parents were married... I mean, all that fell by the wayside. Mm. The doctors, wives, groups, and all those clubs and everything, that stuff fell by the wayside. And they used to look at us, and they'd say, oh, those poor children. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're not going to amount to much. <laughs> she feeds them figs and Coca-Cola, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I swear to wow. you. It was like that. Wow. It was like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So next question. So, <laughs> so we leave the house. Uh-huh. Okay. I have another word for you. Uh-huh. Howard. Oh. I'll add a word to it. University. There you go. <laughs> Howard University was four years of blossoming. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was wonderful. 
university, yes, come on, college years, but Howard was very special. Uh, it was a, it was an incredible time in human history. Uh, it was uh, uh, the time of the Vietnam War. There were protests. Um, I remember Muhammad Ali coming on campus my freshman year, standing on the steps of Frederick Douglass and looking at us and saying, look at me, can't you see I'm free? Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, it was like that. Mm. We had it like that. Mm. <laughs> uh, during my four years, uh, many things happened. Um, Martin Luther King was assassinated. I'll never forget that, mm. looking out of the window and seeing Washington, D.C. going up in flames. Wow. And those fires smoldered for weeks. Um, and just before I graduated, um, Kent State happened. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, students were slaughtered on the campus of Tennessee State mm. for protesting. Uh, it was it was a it was a vibrant time. It was an alive time, and arts were thriving. There were theater companies, you know, spread out throughout the land, and, and it was a time when um, I guess the government thought to quell the people by giving them money for their arts institutions, which they decided later we no longer need, right? We don't, we don't need those now. Did you know that? We don't, we don't, we don't need them. It, 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 was, it was incredible. I fell in love. Mm, that was my next question. <laughs> Because on here, see, I was going to skip it, but you you, oh, you led the way. No, and it says, so is the, I can go here. Who what is this? No, don't go don't, there. Don't go there. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I'm just trying to say. Um, let's go here. Because um, we're talking about theater. Go that way. Yeah, let's go, uh, that, let's way. go that way. Um, we're talking about theater, and um, so many of us know you from television, of course, and we'll get to that. Yeah. But I also first saw you when you on the stage doing Pearl Cleese, um Blues for an Alabama Sky. I saw her in Washington, D.C. at the, tell me what theater it is again, Arena, Arena Stage. Um, and I didn't know that you were so brilliant on stage. It's a whole nother thing on stage, y'all. You think TV and film is something. It's a whole nother thing on stage. Um, which brings me to this Raisin in the Sun you were talking about. And in 2004, which I, and I saw this too, she paid for my ticket to come see uh, Raisin in the Sun on Broadway. I'll never forget it. My little, I was in like one of the little front row aisle seats and Felicia bought my little ticket so I could learn. And um, I saw Raisin in the Sun and I saw her Dude, I saw her win this Tony Award, okay, in the production that I saw. And you are the first uh, black actress to win a lead uh, for a straight play uh, for a Tony in 2004. Um, another history-making moment. Um, so two things. It's a kind of a dual question. What... Um, what was that? What does that mean for you? A lot of times we put these labels like you were the first to do. Does, do you feel that? Does it feel like a thing? Or does it feel like a moment in time in a body of work? Do you know, for you. Mm -hmm. I know what it is for us, but sometimes 
Mm-hmm. For the artists themselves, it feels different. What is that? What is that moment for you? Well, first of all, I wasn't even aware that that was the case mm-hmm. when I was when I received the uh, the Tony. I I didn't even know that that was the case till I went back to the press room, mm-hmm. and uh, this very astute and reserved gentleman said, "How does it feel to be the first African American woman to win the Tony Award for lead actress in a play?" And I looked at him. I said, "What?" And the first, he said, I said, the first? I'm the first? He said, the first. I, the first? He said, I said, well, what happened? Nobody was ever nominated before? I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that. And it was, um, uh, I had to be still with that for a minute because I, uh, I was just so happy to win the Tony Award. I wasn't thinking about being the first of anything. And I decided it's... It's good to be the first, but it's more important not to be the last. The experience of Broadway. You've had, you've been on stage, you've done Broadway, you've done off-Broadway, you've done regional theater. um, And then you began to direct. Do you have a preference? Do you have a different type of love for either? I like all of it. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. What I like about directing is directing began to inform acting. Not the other way. Do you feel? Well, acting certainly deformed, mm-hmm. uh, informed uh, directing because as an actor, you know, how you feel as an actor and how you'd like for a director to work with you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you see things, Okay. Directing was, is so much fun because of, it's a larger collaboration. You're collaborating with the actors just as you do as an actor, yes, but you're collaborating with a design team and creating a whole world in, for which the actors will play. And you're also in dialogue with the playwright and paying attention to every single detail without giving direction for every single detail, just paying attention to it. And, you're, and, and you know, I always ask myself, well, what, what is this job about? What, what is, in, an, in acting, I'll say, what is this scene about? You know, that's what we used to ask all the time. What is this scene about? And as a director, I said, well, okay, well, now what is this job about? And I realized that, one, directing was problem solving. But more than that, it's holding a vision and galvanizing all of the creative energies involved to move in alignment with the vision while leaving space and room for those creative energies to contribute that which I did not see Mm. so that everybody has ownership. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a hard job. I guess it could be. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy it in the in the same like because as an actor we're we're part of the whole, right? The director sort of conducts the whole. Mm-hmm. Do you see it now when you act? Do you kind of see things from a director's perspective always now? Do you kind of always see? Mm-hmm. You, say, you know what I mean. Um, uh, the last time I was on stage. Um, Terrell Allen McCraney's Head of Passes. 
can I say? <laughs> Tina Landau was the director. And it was so interesting because she is great. Mm-hmm. And, and what? She's great. Okay. Hey, let me finish. She's great. <laughs> she's great. And she, and she said, uh, because she didn't really know me, and she wants all of her actors to feel comfortable all the time. She said, I'm trying to, one day she said, I'm trying to figure out your process. And I looked at her and said, my process? She said, yes. And I said, oh, it's very simple. You tell me what to do, and I do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because having, having directed and working with actors with different temperaments mm-hmm. and different points of views and different... Uh, approaches and some actors are very resistant, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I understand all of it. I understand so much more than I haven't directed. Who's got it? I wanted this experience to be consciously different. I wanted to approach it in a way that was consciously different from anything else. I wanted to surrender totally, not just to the role, not just to the part, not just to the play, but to the director. Mm. I wanted to allow myself to be shaped and molded. It was a great experience. It was fantastic. Well, it was a phenomenal performance. I got to see that as well at the at the public. But it also speaks to like not you never stop the learning process, which is I think something that I'm very inspired by because no matter how far we kind of get in all of this the importance of staying open and still learn and still saying I don't know everything mm-hmm. and that curiosity mm-hmm. I think is just very important even for someone who you know I could go down this list of the remarkable things you've done in your career how important is it to you to stay, to keep that sort of childlike mindset in things that you approach it's very important it's the lifeline to the work because mm-hmm. if you don't have it your work is going to become dry, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to be dry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's important to be curious about the world. It's important, and I, and I stay curious about different things in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because back to Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. I had teachers who went to school every summer, and they'd been teaching for 15-plus years. Mm-hmm. So I learned as a young student that learning never stops. Mm. Mm. I learned it from my mother. I learned it from my father, who was a dentist for many years, and he continued to study to augment his skills. And before he passed away, he was, um, he was uh, accepted into the American Academy of Dentistry. Oh, wow. And you have to go through a lot of stuff to do that. Mm-hmm. He did that. Yeah. And so I learned from the people I grew up with that you just don't stop. It's like being a farmer. Mm -hmm. You get up every morning, you gotta till the soil, Mm -hmm. you gotta... Mm -hmm. I wonder now, um, we're gonna switch gears a little bit in terms of theater and moving into... Because did you do television? Do you feel like television came and then you got a lot of theater? Or do you feel like you did a lot of theater first and then television Mm -hmm. came? Mm I did, I did a good amount of theater mm-hmm. before television. But after television, there were things that I got to do that I might not have been able to mm-hmm. do, like Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. Mm. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know what possessed. Oh, it was Clinton Davis' child. Mm-hmm. Clinton. They were looking for somebody to replace um, uh, Bernadette Peters, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody on that staff was talking to Clinton Davis, and he said, "Well, did you think about Felicia Rashad?" And they said, "Well, can she sing?" <laughs> and he, they, they didn't know. <laughs> and so he said. So, you know, he talked about the Wiz and he talked about uh, Dream Girls, and then, you know, and they said, "Oh, okay." So they brought me in for an audition, mm-hmm. and then um, huh, when uh, I met August Wilson for Gem of the Ocean, mm-hmm. he didn't know about my experience in theater at all. He didn't know about my work with the Negro Ensemble Company. Mm-hmm. He didn't know about the production of Medea. He didn't know about Blues for an Alabama Sky. He didn't know any of those things. Mm-hmm. All he knew was what he saw on television. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. But because I had been on television, because I had become visible, uh, there's something that had gone down in casting, I don't know, and they wanted people who were visible, and so it was me. <laughs> did, did Claire Huxtable open... We know that that opened doors. Do you feel in any way that it, for lack of a better term, pigeonholed anything? Did you feel like you had to kind of fight for people to see you in a different way after Claire? Because it's so indelled in our spirit, in our bones, you know, Claire Huxtable. And we're going to go there. But, uh, <laughs> but do you feel like, though it opened doors in terms of visibility, did you have to kind of fight a Claire Huxtable sort of standard of being as an actor that, you know, so that you could be the woman in August Osage County, you know what I mean? And kind of tear up a place and, and, mm-hmm. and that's so different. Mm-hmm. Did, is that a, did that have to be a fight or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, in theater, it was not a fight mm-hmm. because in theater, I find that the casting is creative or at least it was, it's getting strange now, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's true. It was getting a little strange. But uh, um, casting directors and directors seem to be more open to the fact that one is an actor. Mm-hmm. And as an actor, you play different parts. You know, they read Shakespeare, I guess they knew. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, but for film and stuff like that, mm-hmm. girl, I heard about one such film. I'm not naming any names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the director said, I don't want to see her. Because, you know, Claire Huxtable. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's what they, that's how they saw me. That's how they, mm-hmm. you know. People don't, it's funny because actors act, right? <laughs> and like the job is to kind of play anybody. And so it's real. I just find it very interesting, especially when people play something well, that people don't think that they can do anything outside of mm-hmm. what that is. They mm-hmm. just can't imagine. But that kind of speaks to how well you do the job. Do you know what I'm saying? That people can't, <laughs> you know, so... Claire Huxtable, when that happened, I get I get asked this a lot, uh, and people say, "Did you know that this was going to be as big? Did you know that it would be history making? Did you know that it would be legendary? Did you know that it would change people's lives? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know?" No. <laughs> no, I did not. Uh-huh. Even when we were. And even when we were making those first episodes, when we were filming those first episodes, taping those first episodes, I should say, we were having fun. Mm-hmm. We were working and we were having fun. And uh, I, I 
I hadn't considered that it would become what it became. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is that something that you still embrace, that you're sort of forever the, I don't know, you know, we look at, a lot of us look at Michelle Obama or someone and say that's, you know, it's sort of, in somebody's hearts, it's their forever first lady or a Kennedy or, it's, you know, it's their forever, she's the forever matriarch, powerhouse, independent woman, career woman, can run a family, can, you know, she's that. Is that okay with you? I'm fine with that. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> and... Comedy, yeah. you know, the, was that fun to play for you, comedy? Was that something that you were already intimate with? Did you come from mostly drama? I know for me, before I started at NYU, I was mostly comedy. I was not very good at drama. No. Was not. Was that, that, that was a muscle that I had to exercise. Did you feel like that with the Cosby show? Did you feel like, oh, I've got to exercise this comedic muscle? Or did you come in like, I'm ready? I didn't think about it like that mm -hmm. because uh, when we were taping the pilot episode, uh, Mr. Cosby said one thing to the entire cast. He said, don't try to be funny. Mm -hmm. Just tell the story. Mm -hmm. And to me specifically, and this was one of the greatest acting lessons ever, he said, you work in uh, theater a lot, don't you? And I said, yeah, how'd you know? He said, because you always come in on cue. <laughs> That's what we do, right? Mm -hmm. He said, I want you to try something a little different. He said, I want you to take the time to look at me and trust that your audience will be with you. Mm -hmm. And out of that came that famous Claire Huxtable stare. <laughs> yes. Um, what does the future of TV look like to you? You're on a new show, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> David Makes Man. Yeah. Uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney's yeah. uh, new television series. It's screening at this festival, right? That's right. We oh. did it earlier this afternoon. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, did anybody see it? Okay. Great. Great. Um, tell us a little bit about that and then tell us what you see as the future of television. Okay. Mm -hmm. First, I'll tell you about David Makes Man. Yes. There has never been anything like David Makes Man. Thematically, visually, emotionally, there has never been anything like David Makes Man. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you got to see it for yourself and you'll see what I'm saying. And because of that and the show that you're on, I think there's possibilities. Mm -hmm. At one point, you know, I thought, oh, God, it's all gone to seed now. <laughs> oh, those reality things have taken over. And I don't know why they're calling them reality shows, because I don't know any women who act like that. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what I was thinking. But this is, you know, it's, there's always some hope. Technology. Mm -hmm. Guys, there's pros and there's cons to this thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know about this thing. 
why am I saying this like this? You know, <laughs> because it was a time when human beings developed technology, and now it seems that the trend would reverse. That technology would tell us what to think. Mm. Technology would tell us what to eat. Technology would tell us what to purchase. You know, you can have a conversation with somebody and you open your phone and their stuff, I didn't ask for that. Where'd that come from? <laughs> you know, it's, a very, it's, 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 it's very interesting. But even in terms of the work that we do, it, it's changing the way things are produced, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's changing the way things get distributed. Mm -hmm. And there is a plethora of productions now, and so much so that one person couldn't see them all. And I don't really know where all of that is going, but I know just as surely as there are people who are given to telling a good story and telling it well, there will always be something of interest for me to see. Mm. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, at a time where you were doing maybe 25, 24 episodes a year, right? 26. 26. Ah, stop. Um, <laughs> 26 episodes a year. Clay, uh, David Makes Man, how many episodes? See, this is different. Uh-huh. 10. 10. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how much is it an hour, ha- half hour? It's an hour. It's an hour. Hour long drama. Okay. How, what, what is that diff- How does that feel to you? Is that a, does it feel like a totally different form of television making or does it feel, does it, is it, does it feel reminiscent? It's just a shorter version or does it feel like a, like people make TV kind of differently these days? I find a lot of times I feel like there's much more of a sense of movie making in episodes these days. There's this sense of like making either a half an hour mm-hmm. short film or some like an hour long. It's, it's really like this long series that's divided into hours. Whereas like episodic felt very individual and very based on that episode. Do you feel like there's a, a shift for you now? Well, I know that in David Bakes Men, cinematically, it's, it's like filmmaking. It's what? Filmmaking. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's like the best mm-hmm. of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. The, the cinematic aspects of it will, will astound you. Mm-hmm. So there's that. All shows don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, things, are, things are changing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 everything is changing. Everything's evolving all the time. Nothing will stay the same. But at some point, people will go back and they'll look at something that was done in the golden age and they'll say... Oh, oh, and it'll spark an idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what will happen, but I think it will continue to change. And, evolve. and now you know people are into virtual reality, child. Who knows what's going to happen? Knows, knows. <laughs> <laughs> people start beaming us into their living room. And you know, and, and not mm-hmm. only that, they put the things on their heads and be part of the show. You yeah, never that's know. What I'm the next know. guest star is going to be you. This is going to happen. Can you tell us a little bit about your character in David Makes Man, for those of us who haven't seen it yet? Dr. Woods Trap. Dr. Mm-hmm. Woods Trap is a teacher. Dr. Woods Trap is a very well-educated woman. She's Dr. Woods Trap. She has uh, 
her background is in um, anthropology, I decided. And she uses, well, I decided that because she is a, she is a student of world cultures, and that's very obvious from uh, the physical environment of her classroom, what's in there, and, and the posters on her walls, and the way she approaches her studies with her students. She combines history with literature and, and asks important questions about culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's a, she teaches in a gifted program. So she's a woman who could uh, easily be teaching in a tier one university mm -hmm. at a doctorate level. However, she makes the choice, she has made the choice to be in the classroom with these teenagers. Mm. It's a conscious deci decision she has made because she likes them, mm -hmm. for one thing. And she's, she's looking at how they grow. She's interested in the way they talk. She knows their lingo. She knows the music they, li they like, the things they like to do, where they like to go. Uh, and she's, she's trying to give the education that will deliver each student unto his or her own self, mm -hmm. which is what education should do. Mm -hmm. And that's what she's about. Mm -hmm. And she sees David. She sees him past external circumstances. She sees the light of his intellect, mm. and she would like to see him through. Mm. 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 Now, I feel like we've seen you. We're going to see you in David Makes Man. We've just seen you in, uh, the, 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 don't tell me, don't tell me, Taraji, <laughs> what's the show? Empire. Empire. We don't, Empire. Uh, we've just seen you. What's the other show? Uh, this is us. This is us. Oh gosh, it was so phenomenal. Uh, oh, we see you on that one again. Uh, did you know for you that the word would be longevity? I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. I just know I have to work. Mm -hmm. I just know that this is what I have to do because this is in me to do. You know, mm. yeah, I just have to work. Mm -hmm. I have to, that's what I have to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about longevity or short term. I never thought about it like that. And I, that has to do with my mother, mm -hmm. uh, who still gets up. She's 95. She still gets up at 3 in the morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I want to kind of open it up, I think, right? For some questions here from our audience? Yeah. Okay, you worked with one of my favorite actresses from my favorite movie, Clue, Madeline Kahn. Yeah. What was it like working with her? Do you have any good stories? And I can prove it's my favorite movie, by the way, my YouTube. <laughs> Madeline Kahn was genius. She was absolute, total genius. She was a brilliant woman. Phi Beta Kappa. Mm. Yeah, that kind of brilliant. And if Madeline, in an episode, if Madeline had six lines, her dressing room was next door to mine, I could hear her rehearsing those six lines. And she wasn't rehearsing them to set them, she was rehearsing them to explore them. Mm. Mr. Cosby had a nickname for her, he called her Space, because she was 
like that all the time. <laughs> she was very open human being. I loved Madeline Kahn. We had a great time. Hi there. I, I know you've spoken a lot about your family and longevity, and I'm wondering what lessons did you learn from your mother um, that that propelled you and your sister, who is an incredible idol of mine, um, to have that longevity, to be in, a, in an industry that's so incredibly competitive? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think about competition. Mm. I'm always competing. If I'm competing with anybody, it's with my own self. Can we repeat that? I am such an advocate of that. Yeah. I don't believe it's a competition. It's not. A, it shouldn't be. It's creative. It's, Creativity is not competitive. Right. I also think there, <laughs> that there's an abundance that I think we buy into the lie of limitation. I think there's mm -hmm. an abundance that we don't accept or see. It's, it's somehow it's easier to sort of perpetuate that there's not enough, you know? Yes. And... And the more you don't look at it like that, the more space is made for you because you just see the space, right? That's what you see. You, what, what you see is what you get. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So you're in competition with, you said yourself? Is that? Yeah, that would be the only competition. No, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's some good competition. I'm just saying. That's yeah. well, I mean, I just don't think of it any other way, you know? I mean, what, what, what is... Okay, so, you know, as an actor, I don't know if it was, yeah, you've had this. Early on in the career, you, there's periods you go through where there's no work. And it can drive you crazy because you've got this urge and this desire and this passion to work all the time. You know, and you just, so I had a period like that. And um, then I got called in to do some work on, a, do an uh, audition for a soap opera, One Life to Live. And I went through that audition process, and but this time, it, by this time, work was different for me, because I had begun the practice of Siddha Yoga meditation, and that is that is really stilling the mind to focus on its source, which is your own self, not to the point of ignoring people, not that way at all just to become still. If you want to know how crazy your mind makes you, try to be still. And watch it go all over the place. It's like a monkey that just jumps from branch to branch. You don't have to ask it to do that. It just does that. You know, it just does that. So on this particular day, on this particular day, and it happened with the audition for the Cosby Show, too. I, you know, after sitting for the, the practice of meditation, just sitting for that time period, and I got up, I offered a prayer, and the prayer was just to be still. Just to be still. That's all. Just let me be still. And when I went through that audition process, and Al Freeman Jr. was... The guy, you know, Uncle Al. This is our, one of our. Well, he was my professor at Howard, but my friend, friend and hero. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the audition, the 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 um, 
producer came, yeah, because there were several things that happened throughout the thing, like the other actress who was auditioning came in and she was gorgeous and she was beautiful and my mind tried to go crazy and I told my mind, no, you're not doing that. You're gonna be still, because we, we, we said this now, we're gonna be still, okay, be still. <laughs> and after the audition, the producer came running down the steps screaming, you got it, you got it, oh my God, you got it, you got it. And I just did, I said, thank you. And then when I turned to walk out of the door, very, very spontaneously, without thought, my hand went to my heart, and I thought, ah, here lies the treasure. Here are the riches. No one gave it to me, and no one can take it away. And that was worth everything. And you know, <clears throat> I'm from Atlanta, and I have to say, from the first time I ever saw you, I think you are absolutely exquisite. <laughs> and, um, and that explains that, because when I was at the University of Michigan, I did start the yoga. So now you've kind of blown some of my question. But in addition to Be Still, it, what would you today say to the you of when you were 20? And what would you say today, to the, because what's going on now is so different, so much faster. What, would, what was wise things would you say? That if you were born in 20 today, what would you say? If I was born today? Well, no, but if you were 20 today. Yourself oh, today. child, it would always be the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, from my own experience, I would, I would say be still. I took that away from you, though. I want more than that. No, but no, you didn't. <laughs> I would say be I want still. juicy, juicy. <laughs> be still, you know, be still. There's, life is happening all the time. There's stuff going around all the time. You can't control uh, things. You don't always see what's coming or why or how. You, you got to be still. I met this Chinese doctor, Dr. Acupuncture, she's the third generation. He told me, he said, be still, long years ago. He said that when the war broke out with the Japanese and the Japanese were bombing the town in which he lived, people were running and they were scattering, they were running and they were scattering. He said he started to breathe very slowly and to walk very slowly. And he watched as people were running around him getting killed. He was centered and he was still. Be still. It's kind of revolutionary in this time, right? Because everything is about responding so quickly, right? Everything, quick response, immediate response. If you don't respond quickly, people actually interpret that as maybe you don't care. Right. Uh, you're ignoring something, you yeah. don't feel passionate about this, all these things, because it's like, why didn't they say something? You know, why didn't they re- respond? So there's something about taking time to even assess, right? Taking a moment to even mm-hmm. be present. And so many things can happen, but uh, one thing we can control is like our response to it, right? Even yeah. our response time to it. Right? You know, and that's, we can take ownership. And, that. and that's a good point, too, because I'm finding that sometimes the best response is the one in which I've taken the time mm-hmm. to not respond quickly. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the best response. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, thank you, Ms. Rashad, for being here um, and just blessing us with your presence. Um, my question is, so, like, I believe in my 
I believe in my spirit that storytelling is identity formation, that the stories that are shared throughout cultures, throughout people, helps to shape the way in which we view people that are different than us or have experience that are experiences that are outside of our own. Um, and so my question to you is, how do you feel that the different um, stories that you've embodied throughout your career have helped to shape um, the identities of, of Black women in, in film, especially in television? Um, how do you feel it's impacted it? And um, if you can just give some insight into that, just because I think um, for a lot of young Black women, especially aspiring actresses like like myself, um, the work that you've done and the complexity and the nuances of Black women that you have depicted have created so much space for young actresses who are, are, are women of color to pursue roles and get those roles. And so how do you feel like your depiction of the different types of Black women and their experiences has shaped the identity of women in, in America and, and the opportunities that it's created for younger actresses? Well, thank you for that compliment. Um, my objective as an actor has always been the same, and it is rooted in my understanding that human beings are much more alike than we could ever be different. So when I am approaching any role, I'm looking for the humanity in that character in that person. I want to know that person's heart. I want to understand the things that the person does not say, the things that the human being carries. And my objective has always been, through my work, to impart this understanding to people. So that if I never said this sentence to you, you would, you would understand it through my work. People are more alike than we could ever be different. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Ms. Felicia, first of all, congratulations for your award. I think you deserve it. You, you are a very special woman. Uh, I moved from, Af from the Congo, Africa to America in 1981, and I was living in Los Angeles, and I watched your televised engagement then on TV, and it was very good, and you really me me mesmerized me. I really admire you. I admired you so much. Let I name my daughter after you. <laughs> yes, and you do so much, and I really like the job, the work you do. And today my daughter is 25 years old, and her name is Felice Chapel. She's been inspired by you. She's an actor, writer, and singer. Uh, Felicia is the one who brought me here today, and I thank her so much so I can be in the same room just a few yards away from you. I thank you so much. And um, I have, first of all, Felicia is right over there. She, <laughs> okay, she was in the pitch competition this morning. She didn't win, but she did very well. <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, my question to you is, I have two, two small questions. The first one is, uh, what kind of advice or guidance can you give to a young actress like her to succeed in this industry? And the second question is kind of weird. Can, can she just take a picture with you at the end? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, advice, what do we say? Uh, okay, I think, I'm going to add my two cents. I think, I said this to a friend and I, I'll never forget it. She was offended when I said it to her. She just met me. She was coming into the NYU grad program and she said to me, um, so, and I was like in my second year, I was in the, the midst of it, the rigorous part of it. The second year is like awful. And she comes up to me and she said, um, how is this program? How do you feel about it? And I looked at her and I said, you got to love it. And I thought, just a comment, like you have to love doing this to want to go through the, the rigorousness of it, the rough time. And she was like offended, like, oh, I got to love it. Like I was asking you like, you know, some to give me something, I guess that maybe made her feel happier or something. And, and what I'm, and, and later she thanked me for it. She actually said, now I understand what you mean. I, the pursuit is, has to bring you joy. It cannot be result-oriented. It has to be the joy of the opportunity to do the thing that I love. And I know for me, I think every actor has like a superpower, right? And it's, it's like, it's something that makes you unique, what you bring to it. It's this, this, what makes the light through, you know, shine through you. And my thing I realized was joy. Like if the joy is out of it for me, it's something is not playing through and um it's it has to be what makes you passionate about it pursue that thing and then i feel like everything else follows that's the advice <laughs> thank she you she wanted Susie. to hear it from you yes yeah, she did okay <laughs> hello. hello hi um well first miss watson uh, thank you for being this generation's Ms. Rashad, I'm a huge fan yeah. of This Is Us. Um, <laughs> as a fellow Tish here, you're making us proud. Oh, thank um, you so much. So thank you. Um, Ms. Rashad, I'm from Houston, uh, Southwest Houston specifically. Um, unfortunately, I went to your rival high school, Booker T. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, uh -huh. and I, spent, I started my career in Japan, um, spent 10 years in Japan, and... It's funny because I came back to Houston recently um, for work, and I've begun to value Houston in a way I haven't before. Um, part of the reason I went to Asia was just an interest in other cultures, and mm -hmm. you know Houston is like the most diverse city in America. Um, and it just has this richness that people outside of Texas just don't associate with Texas. I mean, a lot of cities, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, but specifically Houston has this. And you talk about Houston a lot, um, even like in the past, but even today. And I'm just wondering if you're interested in doing work in Houston, like producing films or shows, not necessarily with me, but just in general. <laughs> I mean, obviously with me would be great and I would love to chat, but um, yeah, I, I, I sense a passion and a deep connection to Houston. I'm just in interested in knowing what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I was actually... Um Speaking with Jason Dearden about that, Jason Dearden, who is in Greenleaf. Yeah. Jason yeah. Dearden's from Houston. Yeah. And uh, there was something that was 
brewing there, but then came David Makes Man, and it took me away. So I'll have to wait for that opportunity to come around again. And uh, yeah, I would work in Houston any day. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Now let me just check in with the powers. How are we on time? What, what's happening? We can do a last one? All right. Hey, my name is Michael. I love you both. I'm also a Houston girl. Uh, I'm a SAG after member, the first vice president of our local. And my question to you, Felicia, is you've done so much with your career. What is something that you've yet to do? I'm sure that it'll surface. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, I'm about to do something. Well, no, I've done that, but no, I'm about to do something else. <laughs> there, there are other things that I would like to do. I mean, you know, I would like to... I would like to... This is going to sound silly because it's happening all the time. I was going to say that I'd like to work in international productions when the truth of the matter is that the work that I've done is shown everywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I want to work with... Uh, I want to work with more young filmmakers. Mm -hmm. I do. I enjoyed um, Creed and Creed too. Yeah, so did we. <laughs> yeah, I, I love working with the young, mm -hmm. the young film directors. They're, they're, they're bright and, and they're smart. And, and then you get on that, you get on Philia calls, that edge, mommy. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I would watch the TCM movies and she said, oh, mommy, that's so old. <laughs> Acting has changed. And she's right. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, and, and, and I can stay right in this and see how it's evolving even now. Mm -hmm. With, with younger performers. I like that. I guess that's, that's it, just probably more of it. And somebody once said that I should consider directing opera. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think I would like it too, because when I go to the opera, I say, now why are those children standing in that one spot? And why is there all of this space on the stage that is not being used by anything? Yes, yes. Why did they bother to create that massive set when everybody's supposed to stand right there? <laughs> so thank maybe you. opera. Hey, thank <laughs> thank you. you. Before the fat lady sings, I have one last question that I just thought was a fun one that we could kind of wrap up on that note. And it says here, did you take anything from the set, anything that was Claire's, anything from any set, Empire, did you take anything from This Is Us? You got to return that, because we can do it all that. What did you take? I anything? took nothing from This Is okay. Us. I was given. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> ah, from, um, mm. Did you take anything from the Cosby Show set? Well, I had to wait to the end to get it. Uh -huh. I had my sights on it a whole eight Can years. Can I guess? Yeah. Can I guess? Yeah. Is it the painting? I have that too. You have that too? <laughs> Love it. But, but there was something else. Okay, what is it? The cookie jar. The, the cookie, cookie jar, jar that was in the kitchen the whole time and sat right there on the Why? counter. What because did that it was that? home. Mm. A cookie jar, you know, it's kids, you get that thing for years, kids are coming and going and everybody has touched it. Mm. Yeah, everybody has touched it and it's just like, when I look at it, I remember that kitchen and kitchen is like the heart of a home and it's just, 
yeah, I got the cookie jar. Well, we got the prize today, didn't we? Mr. Rashawn. Thank you. The TV Campfire is produced by Caitlin McFarland, Emily Gibson, and AJ Myers, along with our audio partner, Five Ohm Productions. Mark your calendars. ATX TV Festival Season 9 is happening June 4th through 7th, 2020 in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit atxfestival.com and follow us on social media at ATX Festival. And be sure to check out our episode notes for a very special discount on badges exclusive to TV Campfire podcast listeners. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And stay tuned for even more exclusive releases each week.